In a world where workplaces are toxic for people and humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules, how do leaders who care create enlivened workplace cultures? This show has the answers. On Make Work Human, we discuss how companies can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. The path to how lies in unbreakable connections, clear purpose, and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old mindsets about the world of work. I'm Mo Carrick, and I'm a beekeeper, mother of adults, CEO, culture expert, award-winning entrepreneur, and best-selling author, and I'm joined on this show by my colleague and friend, awesome coach, mother of a toddler, award-winning creative, DEI facilitator, and millennial, May Rats. Together, we tackle teams that gossip, leaders who are bad for people, parenting while working, belonging, and so much more with an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for the human beings who work there. We are on a mission to stop the suck and restore humanity to work. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Okay. All right. Well, so, May, I here's what I want to talk to you about this week, because I just came back from an amazing event, and it was a hundred entrepreneurs, and I left women, all women entrepreneurs, and I left with this question racking my brain, and the question was, is it actually possible to work full time and or run a business and be a good parent? Is that possible? And that side tells me you already have some strong feelings about this. Well, what was your plane ride home like after you thought about that question? I was just like, I my, I mean, I, I was on fire with, yes, heck yes, it is possible. And these women are doing it, including me. But I also was sitting with, as an employer, I'm watching you as a colleague with a toddler, watching Jess, who just went out on leave, having had a new baby and thinking to myself, dang, it's not easy. It's not easy to do. And most of the women that I was with were younger than me. So they're more in the thick of it. You know, I'm, I'm done raising my children. Um, and so I found myself thinking, heck yes, but also it is <laughs> there are some real problems with how it works particularly for women, but also for men. But why is it so hard? Well, why is it so hard for you now? Because you are in the thick of it. You is, it look, is it looking hard over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. yeah. It looks like it's really hard for you. <laughs> sweating. Yeah. No, yeah. it doesn't look, you make it look easy, but, but I know that it's not. Well, I think that is part of it too is that we are expected to make it look easy. Mm. You know, I put a lot of effort into making it look easy. Like, <laughs> I don't wake up every day being like, I'm going to make this look really terrible. <laughs> you know, because the moment I get into a meeting with you, you're going to be like, something is wrong. <laughs> you know, something is not okay over there. But that happens in every sector, right? That happens in like my motherhood group, my mothering group, my friend group. You know, as soon as it looks like someone is doing very badly, because we are all trying so hard to make it look so easy. It must be really bad because that must be the best they got. <laughs> you know, right. so I think that's another piece of why it's so hard. Because both yeah. things need to look easy. Yeah. Well, totally. And, uh, and 
that's not new, right? You felt right. that before. Okay. That yeah. it has all, yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. No. And I'm with you. Like I efforted, I efforted to make it look easy as well. And back, you know, in the day when I was young, we, we had to pretend like 10 years ago, <laughs> longer than that, but we had to pretend we didn't have children. I mean, I, you know, I was told hide your bit. You can bring your best feeding baby to client sites, but hide them. Don't be seen in the halls with them. And, um, and also don't have pictures of your children in your office. So like it, that part is probably a little bit different for, for totally. you. Um, totally. Yeah. I think it swings the other way for me, but that, mm-hmm. um, has partial, a little bit to do with who I work for. Obviously I think there are still places like that. Um, yeah, but yeah. where that is not allowed, big corporate structures like that are not. It's not cool. Um, but I think there is also. I've been noticing this um, a little bit of a badge of honor of showing up as a working mom and describing how many kids you have, what they like, what you know about their soccer team, mm-hmm. um, because that's like it's showing such deep involvement. It's showing such amazing. Uh, just accountability to both parties, right? Like uh-huh. I'm at this meeting. I look so dressed up. I'm like, good to go. I don't have poop on my upper half in this Zoom call. And and also my kid's best friend's name is Georgie. Yeah. Oh, also my kid only eats mangoes right now, uh, organic ones. And also goes to a Montessori school. Oh, and knows every single name, scientific name for the trees outside. Did I mention they were just born? Like, <laughs> I think... All of that, you know, is, and then it's like, oh, but it's so sweaty to be a, a mom. You know, it's so crazy out here. It's like, well, all of that is just part of the facade of like that, what we are building as opposed to what you were building, you know? Well, right. But I think that's really connected to something that I rant about, as you know, and that I was thinking a lot about after this conference I was at, which is the motherhood myth, you know, the, the mythology of what a good mother looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and I certainly have bought into that mythology and trying to make it look like I am all that. And, you know, the problem for me, I think as a young mother was that the cracks were just so visible, you know, and the, and the, <laughs> you know, the guilt and pain yeah. that I felt were so deeply internalized. You know, I can yeah. remember, I'm sure I've told you the gingerbread house story, you know, where everybody was supposed to bring a gingerbread house to preschool or whatever. And I, you know, I have a background in gingerbread houses. <laughs> like, I'm going to make a gingerbread house. And I made it, I said, you know, supposed to be with the kids, but they didn't help much. I made this <laughs> constructed thing. And then I woke up in the morning to take them to school and it had collapsed. Like my cat must've jumped on her or something. And I was in tears. Oh, I was like, no. I'm not bringing you know, and Woody, my, the father of my children was like, well, just go to Safeway. They have them there right now and just take the pre-made. And I was like, what? This one is made with hand ground. (laughs) And my kids could eat anything on this gingerbread house. This was the house that's going to like make it look like I'm the mother of the year. And I didn't want, I did not want to bring the plastic, not edible gingerbread house from (laughs) You know, because that would make me a bad mother. So I feel like some of what you're describing is we make it look good because we ha- we idolize mothers as being the end all be all. Yeah, we've all learned it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think that's the wild part is that we, as mothers, we're not told how to be mothers mm. with words, right? We but we all learned it somehow. We all learned how to do that. We all learned that a better gingerbread house looks like this right where the heck do we learn that you know like 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you had a, you had a working mother and I had a working mother. So that's a really good question. Where do we learn? Cause our mother, my mother was not perfect. My mom worked the night shift as a nurse. You know, she went back to school. Um, she worked a lot and, but I still experienced her as a really good mother. Like I felt very well mothered by my mom. Um, and she also helped me raise my own children. So that's, but why do I still mythologize what a good mother looks like? It's like society at large. Are you facing that still as a young mother today? Totally. I think the question that you've asked is, uh, the reason I have feelings about it is because it's so much, and we've talked about this, but it's so much of the Kool-Aid that I was sold of however it was supposed to be career-wise, motherhood-wise, and where did I learn that? And I actually don't think I learned it from my mom. Mm. I learned it from my peers Mm. and I'm not really sure where we decided to teach each other that, but we taught each other that if it's not, if we don't save the world, no one will. Mm. And it's our job because our moms work so hard to get us here. Our moms are so self-sacrificing. And in fact, it's not really our job to be self-sacrificing. It's our job to change the world, raise good humans and be part of every boardroom. (laughs) And if we're not part of all those things, we haven't lived up to our mom's given gifts to us. Mm-hmm. Right? So it comes with this like added bit of guilt of like, we're letting not only everybody else down, but our freaking mother. So that's great. So I think it comes with a little bit of everything in there mm-hmm. now, but it's also from watching, I mean, this is just hitting me kind of like a lightning bolt, but you are such a brilliant mother. I want, that is like my perception of you is that you are such a brilliant mother. And you are such a brilliant business person. It's why I, to be quite honest, slid into your DMs, which now I like look back into that. I'm like, oh my God. But that, those are the reasons. And so when you say like, I was just, you know, try also trying to chase a carrot that was actually about a carrot, like that kind of half computes to me, Mm. but I also register you as a great parent. Right. So I think we learn it that way that the people we're watching we perceive as being such great parents and it being so easy for them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you are part of every boardroom and you are a great parent and you are a great partner and you go to therapy and you're, you know, so like the things I'm like, well, I don't know. It might not seem unrealistic what I got in my brain. Well, but also I have suffered like that, that. And I think you, you know, as my colleague, you get to see that too. Like I have suffered. I, my kids have had challenges. Yeah. I have had loss. And, um, but at the same time, I, you know, I have had, I have had to work, you know, and that's been, that's been powerful. So I'm curious about something because you just said something really powerful. I think about like being a millennial and like the legacy of, we have to change the world. And also our mothers, you know, created these opportunities. I think that's one of the ways we differ a little bit. Cause my mom was, a, you know, I was born in 1962. So my mom was a feminist and I grew up with messaging, like you can be and do anything you want. It was not so much about saving the world. It was more about being able to support yourself and take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see in young people, not just women, but I see this, you know, very committed, connected, um, cause driven, like we can't just be in the world. We have to like contribute to something that matters, which is powerful because that's also one of our human needs. Um, but I'm curious, are, are most of your peers today may also your, your women peers, are they working full-time also? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what about your male peers? Hmm. Um, yes, I'd say yeah, if they are married, if they're, if they're married. Yeah. yeah. 
if yeah. they're partnered and if they're not for sure but yeah but yeah that's that could be a difference around at least i mean it's like the same output of the motherhood myth but it's a little bit of a difference because when i was a young mother which was in the the 90s um my my peers it was much more popular to not be a mother who worked um, in my social circles. And so I was the only mother who worked in my social circles, which made me feel very isolated and alone. And also I carried around a lot of shame that being a mother was a bad thing. And there was a lot in the environment that my decision to be a mother was a choice. And then my decision to work was a choice that mm-hmm. I, I had, I was choosing to work. And I remember mm-hmm. kind of being like, what? Like, you think <laughs> I want to work this hard? Like, you think this is what I want? This is not what I want. What I want is to be able to lay down on the chaise lounge and have bonbons fed to me while I, <laughs> while I read children's stories to my children. But that's something I took from this conference I was at the most because 80% of those attendees were BIPOC women. And when they talked about work, it wasn't like there was a choice. You know, they were like, I work because that's how I provide economic security for my family. And also that's how I enliven and, 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 and prove the benefits of what my ancestors have been through, mm-hmm. you know? And I think as a white woman, I think white woman mythology is a little bit different than that, where we assume that if a white woman is working, she's making a choice mm. um, because white wow. women have the luxury of not working, but not me, not all white women have that luxury. Like a lot of white women don't, but I understand that that's a little bit of a cultural mythology, but you know, you are from, you are a descendant of a, of a non-white woman who yeah. had an ancestral yeah. pressure to work, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like why we came here, <laughs> you know, like we worked our best to get here and we're going to work continually to do that, which is so funny though, actually, that you say this because um, my grandfather, who he and I have a very contentious relationship. Um, and tell us people a little bit about your, your family background, just so they yeah, so my grandparent, my maternal grandparents came to the U.S. as refugees during the Chinese Revolution, um, moved to New York City, and have this like wild story of getting. He walked into like some office of Rockefellers and told them that he was an architect and that he wanted a job, and they hired him. And he tells the story as like they were hiring a lot of Chinese at that point because they thought we were really good at math, mm-hmm. <laughs> which like makes me laugh now because it's like <laughs> just like played the system of which racism was just like running rampant you know but it all worked out you know he like was a major part of building of like being the architect for Lincoln Center and you know a lot of very large projects happened for him and it set up our family in a very good way of coming into this place Mm -hmm. Uh, my mom is an only child and you know I think I think it was rough and I think the American dream they muscled their way into the American dream I don't think the American dream was laid out for them, but that my grandfather is very uh, old world Chinese still. He is like very much patriarch and he is very proud that he has this granddaughter who's working fairly hard, but he gave me a present the other day, which uh, doesn't happen. I'm 32 years old. He like doesn't give gifts. That just like, it's not a thing. And he gave me a cash gift. He also gave a cash gift to Crosley, my daughter. And I sent a text that said, thank you. Like, you know, and he wrote back, it's so that you can work less and play more. This Mm -hmm. man is like 
that was like, it was like he grew another head. Like we don't talk about that kind of stuff. That's like so out of character. I called my mom to make sure he was okay. Like that's not that's not usual. Grandpa. <laughs> yeah, it's not usual to have the message of like you have worked enough. Mm-hmm. You have worked enough, and now you get to play. At, mm-hmm. But you're thirty, you know. So that was very powerful. Like wow, wait, maybe not only am I seen for like oh you are working good for you, and I get mm-hmm. it. And I'm not asking you to stop. I'm just saying that I see you working enough. You know, and like, and also you should play with your kid, you know, like that's a good thing, but it's interesting about this choice of working or not. I mean, yeah, we would choose to work maybe right. If that like fed us Um, and choosing to parent is like an everyday choice. Like I feel like I didn't, yeah, I chose to get pregnant. I worked really hard to get pregnant, Um, but I wake up every day choosing to be a parent. And sometimes I unchoose being a parent. Like the other night I told Sam, like, I don't know. Crosley's mom isn't here right now. Like she can't make that decision. Like I was just tapped out. I couldn't be a parent anymore. So there's like a certain number of hours of choosing to be a parent even. Yes. um, That I think is wild. So when you ask, like, is it possible to be good Mm. and a good and work full time? uh, I don't, I'm on the other side of like, I don't think so. Because I think the, I think the bars are changing all the time. Um, I mean, work is like the most dependable place where I can be a good employee. I can be a good, whatever I can show up. I know the rules. I don't know what the rules are for parenting. (laughs) I have no idea what I'm doing out here. So like being a good parent is like, so in the eyes of my peers, maybe, but for myself, like, I hope so, but I'm not really sure what that bar even is. It changes all the time. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's connected to this, you know, motherhood myth, right. Around like that it has to be everything all of yeah. the time, you know, that yeah. being a good parent is, and I think that's the myth, right. Cause for me, like when I say being a good parent, I, I see you may like, I see a parent who is authentic and connected and loving and also is providing, you know, and for me, that's where I get frustrated about the choice issue because, you know, the, you can, if, if you, if you have enough money, that you can be a full-time stay-at-home parent, then you have the privilege of safety and security and food, water, and shelter for your children. If you don't have that, or if in your partnership, your income is primary or just significant, you know, 50, 50, whatever you have, you, you work because that's provide, that is good. That is good parenting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's the thing that has frustrated yeah. me throughout my career is like this implication, like, oh, well, you work as if you're a bad parent and without acknowledgement. And this is the acknowledgement I think that men get just because of privilege, which is they, yes. privilege. they don't get called working fathers. Yeah, for they a get, reason. Right. They get idolized for like you're working to provide for your family. Yeah. And, you know, and yet in, in today's world, which you just verify when I asked you, like how many of your friends work, most parents, my children, your, they don't have children yet, but your family situation um, are, are both parties in whether it's a hetero or other type of relationship, both parties are working because of the economics of providing yeah. food, shelter, safety, security, right. For their family. And they also, if they're lucky, they get to work because it helps them feel like they're contributing and that they yeah. can do other things, but that's not what gets, you know, we go to work largely because it meets our basic needs. Most of us in a capitalist society, totally. and, you know, I'm hungry for that to be validated. Like, and my children, like who are grown, I feel I mean, one of the greatest gifts they've ever given me is like to say thank you for yeah. helping me learn how to play music 
and go to college and have um, a home that was warm, you know, and like, I feel very seen for that. And so, and I love what you said about your grandfather kind of seeing that part that you're offering to your family through your work. And also the acknowledgement that you being able to play with and be present for your kid also matters, you know, both matter. Um, Yeah. And, and the acknowledgement that you cannot do that if you don't have enough money. Right. My 90 year old grandfather knows that like, cool, cool. Tell her to go play with her kid. Yeah. Like if she can't do that, she can't do that. Right. Yeah. I nannied for um, some really brilliant people, some really brilliant mothers. Mm. Parents. I forgot, I forgot you were mothers. a nanny. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was supposed to prep me for parenthood, I felt like. And it definitely didn't just for anybody out there that thinks that that's, it's, you get way more sleep as a nanny. Anyways, um, and I uh, nannied for this one family and the mom would come home and thank me for being there um, in this way that was like, out of the realm of me being able to understand why she was thanking me. Mm. And later she would, she would tell me that like the way that she was parenting well was by finding me. Mm. And I always took that to heart for like how important my job was as the nanny is that like, she can go to work and she had a really huge, important job. Like she really is changing the world. And the, best parenting decision she could make for the middle of the day was to get a dang good nanny. Yeah. Yeah. And that was awesome. You know, like I knew what my job was and she understood like how, how important it was, you know, to have this person in your kid's life that was doing the thing you needed them and wanted them to do. And that she was actually the driver of that. She was in charge of that. Yeah. And um, by going to work, she mm-hmm. made that happen. Yes. Um, and that stuck with me forever that like being a good mother doesn't mean that you're there every day. Doesn't mean, you know, what snacks they love every single hour of the day. Doesn't mean you are like exhausted by the end of just like trying to figure out how to mother all day long. So that you have other ways of figuring that out, you know? And yeah. I think in that way, yeah, you can totally be a good parent and work full time. Yeah. Interesting. Because there are other ways to be a good parent than the one that's modeled. You said, you said, I'd love to get a tell all from all your children. And my palms started sweating. No. I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, I had asked my children, like how harmed were you by my parenting? But, you know, I think to go back to what we were talking about earlier, there's something so powerful about being seen mm-hmm. as a working parent. I think a mother or father, um, as, that the economics contribute. And I, and I think that's something I, I've noticed the men in my life, the, the father of my children, the stepfather of my children, really just having a lot of automatic being seen for their economic contribution, even actually when mine was more. Yeah, yeah. And I bought into that by not ever mentioning it. Like I bought into that by saying, oh yeah, their job is so great and so exciting. And meanwhile, and I've heard this from many other women deeply sitting with, oh, but actually I'm paying for this. My income is paying for this. But knowing that society at large would validate, uplift him for the economic contributions, but would not actually see me in a favorable light. And, and that that's really not helpful. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I'd say very minimally helpful at all. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then men get uplifted on both sides. Well, right. And so let's talk about that because there's this other dynamic that I think is powerful. And I know you, you, you and and your partner have been sitting in this as well, which is um, 
one of the things I say a lot of the time is that I actually don't believe that we can have real gender parity in the workplace in terms of power, positional authority, and, and economic security until we as a society can uplift men as competent and primary caregivers. Mm-hmm. And I feel, because I have a number of women who whose partners are primary for their kids, and those men face challenges being you know, handling their own identity, being seen as competent contributors to society when they're not. So I think that's a problem. Have you noticed that in your partnership? Yeah. I mean, of course their monetary contribution is like, they get praised hard for their parenting while they're like perceived parenting. And then they get kind of there, there for anything, you know, that doesn't have to do with monetary contribution. I think. Mm, Like what, like what, like, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's very, Everybody thinks it's very cute. Oh, when they're parenting. Yeah. Uh, Like that's very sweet and progressive of you. mm. But it doesn't really, I mean, anyone that's a parent knows that like being a stay-at-home parent is a hard freaking job. Totally. It's not cute at all, actually. Yeah. Other bit is that like, if I decided to be the stay-at-home parent, number one, it would be the worst choice economically for our family that could possibly exist right now. Mm -hmm. And two, it wouldn't be cute at all. Like no one would tell me that it was cute. Nobody would think that, like, wow, that's so progressive and wonderful of you. Right. And it wouldn't, you know, so I, there's there's traps in either direction. Um, but for men, like, for an example, Sam is my partner, and he goes to the park and meets no one. <laughs> like, he comes home with no friends. Oh. And that is not because Sam's not wonderful. Like, I have great taste. He's wonderful. He's personable. He's very funny. He's witty. He's an introvert, but he's witty. He's wonderful. But he comes home with no friends. Mm-hmm. I go to the park for like 10 minutes and I have like six mom's numbers. Like we have to leave because I can't handle the overwhelm of like mm-hmm. everybody wanting to have a park hangout next time. You right. know, like I'm going to the park with Crosley to mellow out because I've been <laughs> for all day, you know, and I come home and I'm like, well, I met everybody from down the street. And also like these kids, they were born like one month after Crosley and like, we should probably meet. The, oh, that kid's allergic to peanuts. You know, mm. like I know everything about these children and I know their parents. I know their moms, mm. but Sam goes to the park and it is like the most lonely, isolating feeling. Yeah. Like, where are they? Right. And there's like this thing about this is my own perception, but I think there's a thing about moms at the park talking to the single dad, the one dad that's there. Right. I think there's still some weirdness there. Yes. We're like, hear me loud and clear as the partner to that male person at the park. Talk to him. It's okay. Right, <laughs> right. Like, I want you to be his friend. I want you to like, I want him to be your friend. I want our children to know each other. Yes. I don't yeah. feel any weirdness or like, I don't feel anything about that except for like, phew. Right. But I think it just isolates further and further him away from parenting circles that could exist, villages that could exist. And then it just even more makes him feel like, well, if I was making money, yes, I was like monetarily contributing, then I would actually be feeding in and I'd be with my peers. I would be with other dudes who are doing the same thing as me. No, that's so true. And it's like, that's the, to me, that's the mythology, which is like, oh, I'm actually in the wrong place. I shouldn't be in the park with Crosley. That's not acceptable. I'm somewhere else. And I've had women in big corporations who often do have stay-at-home partners because how else could you be a senior leader really without a a full-time partner? Um, And these men have like gone to retreats with their spouses as the spouse. And they're like, 
what the heck? I don't want a facial. You know, I I'm uncomfortable yeah. there because I, I I'm seen as that that person who's not enough because he's taking care of the children. So this is how we. This is why I think this question is it possible to be working full time and be a good parent is so relevant for men and women because for me, if we can if we can elevate men's stature and rank and see them and validate them as their parenting matters. Yeah. And we can also see and validate women's economic contribution through the efforts of their hard work. Then I think we've got more progress and more ability to talk about what does it look like? What do workplaces have to do? And what do the individual people that are working have to do to try to create a system where both are possible, where we can do both well. Uh, and, but we're a long way from that right now. And of course, COVID is highlighting how far we are. I totally agree. Um, I mean, the piece that hurts me or like really grabs me is that like real life humans are getting hurt, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, the economics of it get weird and yeah, the like systems aren't built for it. And there is a man at home yeah. putting my baby to sleep mm. and it's his baby, you know, he's putting his baby to sleep and it's every day Yeah, while I'm at work and that's how our family works, you know? And so every time it's told like, oh, both of you are actually not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing. Right. We're fighting two rivers at the same time. Right. Because we get home and we're like, how'd you do it? The job you're not supposed to be doing. Right. <laughs> you know, and we're like, I think I did actually pretty good. Right. But I have, you know, but there's a very small circle of people that validate that for me. Right. And then if it right. like the more that both of those things get seen as progressive or new or cute or, oh, that's the way that me and Sam do it. Yeah. The worse or it is. Yes, or temporary or transient or yeah. not quite right. No, I agree. And it's heartbreaking to hear about. And it reminds me, you just have you just triggered into me a flashback, which I I try to suppress. <laughs> Bring it on. But when I was a young mother, you know, put one of the conditions of my work, you know, pre-COVID for sure was that I traveled a lot. And before I started my firm, I worked for another company and I traveled, you know, 280 to 300 days a year. And I had two young children at that time. I hadn't had my third. And I remember in that work, working with corporations, and I can't even count how many times, May, I was asked this question, who watches the children when you're gone? Yeah. And I, and I often wanted to joke like, oh, I, I don't know. Like, you know I'm not sure I, they're fending for themselves, you know, but if I said like, well, their father or their grandfather or their nanny, I would get then the next logical statement would be that must be so hard for you and for them. Like, well, not really. Like, you know, he's a good father. You know? <laughs> yeah. he's, a good, he's a good father. Right. And so I think that double bind you're describing that really does hit across both of the gender binary. And of course, we're not even tackling like all of the issues that come up in non-binary couples. Yeah, but totally. um, but I think that it's um it's it it's the mindset of what good looks like. Yeah. That yeah. has to change. That maybe, maybe we got to rewrite the question, which is not is it possible to work full time and be a good parent, but is it possible to contribute economically and be a loving parent? Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And is that like is that good enough? Yeah. I mean, the other piece of your story that you didn't say, but that like, I want to scream from the rooftops is like, yeah, um, their father's watching them. Also, he's good at that because he's, he's good at it. And I'm good at this. Right. 
I'm in here making big money, yeah. doing the thing I am so good at. Welcome to work. Like, you know, like that's oh. why is that not the first question? Like, yes. Oh, cool. What are we in here to do? Right. And I feel that often with like a group of moms mm-hmm. that come together to do a thing. They're not asking questions like that. <laughs> you know, they're like, let's get to business. Let's do the thing. Cause we're good at that, which I'm feeling might've been what you felt at the most, which is like lots of those women left their children to go to a business conference that was worth it for them. And many of those women make six figures, totally seven figures more, you know, and yeah. And these women are saying this also helps my children. Yeah. And th- this is the part that I have historically felt unseen. I can remember when my kids were getting ready to apply to colleges and stuff which I pretty much paid for. And I remember, I remember that feeling of like, this matters, like the feeling of satisfaction I have that my children, despite their difficulties, they've received the benefits of my labor. They, they've, they've learned how to play instruments. They've participated in sports. They've traveled. They have degrees. They're able to function in this world because they've had the privilege of some economic security and benefits that I afforded them through my effort. Now their dad did too. I'm not saying that he didn't, but it was different. And mine was primary. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then the idea of matriarchal wealth mm. or matriarchal, that is like very revolutionary still. Yes. <laughs> like the fact that we are, that your children are benefiting from matriarchal wealth and sweat yeah. out loud. Yeah. That part is new. Us benefiting from matriarchal sweat in quiet is not new. That's right. Um, but that is, I mean, that could like make me weepy, but. Well, yes. And also while you're weeping, I agree. <laughs> well, I agree. And, and the thing is that not only is it not talked about, it's purposefully not talked about yeah, yeah, because yeah. women who have ambition, yeah or economies and economic gain or changing the world are actually seen as deficient in their parenting. And, you know, our recent, the recent confirmation hearings of Judge Jackson um, just broke me open. Her, her comment in her hearing to her daughters Daughters. yeah, um, around, I'm so sorry that I sometimes didn't do it right, basically. And that's a whisper that I think every mother has. And I don't know if men have that. And I don't want men to have that either, but I don't yeah. want, I want us to stop having that too. I want us oh. to be able to be grounded in. We are enough and we're doing what we need to do. Oh my God. That's like, so that right there is so big that if I am good at work, I am the bucket of good enough parent is draining at the same time. Right. That doesn't happen for men. Right. I'll tell you right now, any employer that gets Sam next is not going to say, oh, you were a parent. So actually now you're worse at work. Like buckets are not draining because of him doing what he's doing. Like that's just not happening. So that that's wild. Um, Here's my question for you most that was there a moment in your career where, um, for everybody listening out there, Moe's ex-husband's name is Woody, that you decided as a family not to push for Woody's career to be the primary one in the monetary space. So that like, for lack of a better term, but for you to like shine the spotlight onto Woody's career and everyone to put effort there and you to be put sent back to home. That sounds terrible, but you know what I mean? For like the roles to switch. Was there a decision where you're like, no, I'm going for it. Or was there a decision of like, Mo has to go for it because this is the way it is? Or was it like, no, we're not going to choose to do that. 
you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I, I'm a little, I feel a little bit of shame actually about the answer, because I think in my generation, we acted like his career was always the focus, but it was obvious to all that mine was. And some of that's because I became an entrepreneur after the birth of our third child. Um, And we played along with that story of uplifting his career, despite the fact that it was obvious that mine was, was financially um, significant in our, in our family. So we did talk about it. I can remember some periods when Woody was out of work and I would say things like, perhaps we should build, you know, maybe we should bring the kids out of daycare now or let the nanny work less hours or whatever. And he actually never, I think due to what we're talking about around the pressure on men, I don't think Woody ever felt like he could have, he could comfortably not work and be parent number one for our three children because of what it would mean for him as a man in society. So he kept trying, you know, always to work as the most important thing, even when economically, I personally, in hindsight, think our marriage would have really benefited from being able to have one <laughs> at home full time. Yeah. You know? And we didn't ever do that. Now we did, there was one job he took and it was at the time when I started the business that afforded us, he, he made good money when he worked for a big corporation at one point that allowed me to have a year of ramp up costs for being an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. that that was very, very helpful because he did have insurance and he had a steady income. And that that was key to me being able to start a business. That that one we did make a decision to do. And he hated that job actually. It did, he didn't love it, but he did it to, to help us. Do you feel like you've been holding your breath for a really, really, really like your whole career, just pushing to the top of a hill while you try to prove that the thing you're doing is worth it? That's a good question. I don't think I feel it as much anymore because my three adult children are alive and thriving in their own ways in the world. So, you know, I, I think I've told you this may, but if I die tomorrow, you know, which I hope I don't, mm-hmm. but the, and I will get emotional here because I can't help but do it. But, you know, there, the thing that matters to me the most is that I have three children who can say, you know, you did good mom. And I love you. Like you were loved. That's what matters the most, not only by them, also by the other people in my circle. It's not, I don't have any delusion that what's going to show up on my headstone is like, she ran a good business. (laughs) She made a lot of money, right? (laughs) That that is not what's going to, that doesn't feed me, you know, but knowing, so, so that I feel, I feel on the other end of the hump, probably from where you sit now around, like, I feel to a large degree, my job here is done with my adult children, not fully because they're young adults. And so I still have a role in supporting them, but, but I feel, um, I feel that I've done, I know I've done the best I can. And I know that my accomplishments in the world, the felt experience of my having lived is going to be three through those three beings mm. and my stepson as well, all, all four. Right. And um, so that feels that feels good. But I did not feel that for a long time. And I still sometimes even to this day, you know, I have moments of feeling that I haven't been, you know, I haven't been the parent that I wish I was or I wasn't as present as I could have been due to my career. And I, I sometimes wonder, is that why this child is struggling or is that what happened in the family? Is that why I got divorced? You know, I have some of those fear-based thoughts, but I I'm learning to not index, you know, on them as much. Cause I am pretty grounded that I did the best I could and that we did the best we could. Good job. What Thank about you. you? Do you feel like you're 
constantly just like pushing the rocks uphill? Mm, not as much since joining with you mm. years and especially as a parent. But I feel very much like my career is for me and it is for her. But I am constantly, it's a constant practice for me to not lose myself um, and not make everything for her. Because mm. uh, that is like my, that would be my default that like I'm changing this world for you. I'm changing work for you. I'm doing mm. this work to pay for the things that you want to do, the things I believe in you to do, you know that our fam- I want our family to see together. Like it's so easy for me to do that. Mm. And when I like sit back and take a breath, I'm like, and it is for me. Like I am changing work. I am changing the world for me. Yes. Because this is not going to be, I refuse to change the world, not in my lifetime. Like yeah. we will do this. <laughs> that is like the engine that sits behind me. It's like, I didn't join Momentum to change the world for a kid I hadn't met yet. <laughs> I changed it. I joined for me. Yeah. And so that didn't change because I birthed a thing, a le- like a very difficult houseplant in the very beginning, like, to be honest. <laughs> but like, now it's just a little bit more multifaceted. Yeah. But my hope is that I get to the end of my career and I still say that, you know, like I went to work for me and I went to work for you. and. Yeah that she sees that, you know, like my mom worked hard for both of us Yes, and for different reasons. You know, that's like, I, I probably tell, told you this story, but I saw this, I watched this uh, speech by Julian Castro about the immigration being a relay mm-hmm. and instead of a single race and that everybody in your family has a leg to run and that every leg is different every leg has a different purpose. You know, not everybody gets to sprint around the corner and not everybody gets to straight away. So what is your leg and what are you going to do with it when you get it, when you get the baton, you know? And I think like, if we're talking about matrix, like my matrix have all had very different roles. My first matrix was to survive and get us to this country. And then my mom's role was to figure out how to thrive as a third culture kid who didn't really fit in. Yeah. And to play by rules that she just didn't really know, you know, and were not explained to her. And then I see my role as like, we are going to sprint towards change as fast as we possibly can. And I'm going to do that as quickly and as loudly as I can do it, you know, so that when my, when I get to pass the baton, she doesn't get to the same hurdles that her other matriarchs have gotten to. She gets to her own. Yeah. And I think that is why I go to work. You know, like, that's why I think it is possible to work full time and be a damn good parent, even though I said I didn't think that was possible, but I think it's possible in that it's it's you. <laughs> responsibility is there Yeah. of like, you can, you can work and also do the things you want to do. Um, even though certain people will drain, try to drain that bucket, you know, um, I love that. And I love that. And, and I love that you're saying like for you and it, it taps into me about like, yes. And not only for you, like the word that came up for me is obligation. Yeah. Like, yeah. And because I said like, yeah, my legacy is my kids. And also I, it may not go in my headstone. Well, I'll be cremated. So I won't have a headstone, <laughs> but I sure as hell hope that my clients and the readers of my books and the listeners to this podcast are like, you know what? We're glad that speck of dust that was Mo Carrick was here because it helped me. Like it helped me cope with this 
badass, dark, hard world. And that's what we do in the workplace. And you're right. And I'm with you. And the years that you're parenting are actually very small. Yeah. You know, those 18 years are a small chunk of the overall trajectory of your life. And, and we, I love that baton metaphor because we do inherit that from our, our mothers and pass it along around, you know, no, actually the world has big problems and it's all hands on deck. And yes, I'm raising you and I'm doing this other thing because it matters hella a lot. Yeah. I absolutely am in for that. And I agree with you. And I think this like reminds me of your mom, actually, this is like a Margaret, a Margaret centered uh, like idea, actually. (laughs) Like she was like the queen of it. She was. She was. And my, you know, my mom was the one who said to me, like, when you get married, make sure you keep your own credit card. Cause you've got to be able to take care of yourself always, even if you can share economic success with, with your partner. And she also had a mind right up until the end of her life, which was activated by the curiosity of the world way beyond her children. Yeah, And that is, that's important too, because like you said, yeah, you're doing it for you, but you are also a human being that impacts this world and leaves resonance as she did. And as your mom has way beyond just your children. So I'm going to retract that my greatest legacy is my children, because I hope that that's true, but I also hope that there's ripple effects felt throughout because that's, you know, and I see older women, my age may who haven't worked and I feel for them. And I, and some of them, I are beloved friends and I feel their struggle now at say 60 to find the meaning that helps them feel like they know their contribution beyond the lives of their children. And I'm always grateful, like, oh, I don't have to hunt for that. I've had that all the way along. Yeah, but it hasn't been easy. I mean, okay. So in closing, here's my question is what is, what is the thing that you would tell millennial parents right now? And it doesn't have to be a great piece of advice. It can be like, this shit's hard. (laughs) Like, you know, like what is the piece of, from an employer, from an entrepreneur, from a boomer, like what's the thing you want millennial parents to know? I would say you can do this and you must. Mm, What a good one. I I was heartened today when, or yesterday because often I worry about bringing kids into this world. And um, I went to the church of Mo for like a hot minute yesterday when you were like, because our coworker just had a baby and you said, it's always a good thing when babies come into this world. And I was like, she's freaking right, but (laughs) (laughs) it's hard. Oh, it is hard. And to be like, the world is crazy right now. It's wildness. And it is always good to bring in a baby. And it's brave to do it, you know, and I, uh, birth rates are down, you mm-hmm. know, and that really fear, it scares me. None of my children or stepchildren have children yet. I don't know if they'll choose to. Um, but I feel like as I watch you and Sam with Crosley and I look at Jessica with Persea and now Opal, and I think, you know what, that's a brave thing to do. And thank you for doing it because this is life. This is the continuation of the human spirit. And it's really very, very precious. And it's a brave thing to do because there's no guarantee that it's all going to work out, you know, and, um, and we do it anyway, because that's what courage is. So I applaud you and I hope more millennials and generation Zers that come behind can also find their space to say this is going to be worth it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks, Mom. Thank you. Good conversation. Have a good day. Yeah, you too.